In today's episode, Richie and I go over the Jazz's hot 7-1 start, plus some of their shooting woes, as well as Utah football's path to the Pac-12 championship. Can they make it? Well, they have to go through the Stanford Cardinal first this week. And Utah basketball starts next week. What are our preseason expectations for the run in Utes? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. NBA is back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, guys. Welcome back. It seems like every week it just keeps getting better and better to be a Utes and a Jazz fan. I thought I wouldn't be saying that, especially as a Utes fan at the beginning of September. But, man, things are looking really nice right now if you're a fan of both of those teams. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Of course, the Utah Jazz are once again a hot topic in the NBA. As as of right now, they're 7-1. and one. They've only lost one game against... The Chicago Bulls, who, by the way, are a very, a very better team than they were last season. They they picked up some great pickups in the off season, and the East actually has some competition now. I feel like better competition for those Nets out in Brooklyn. But of course, what what stands out to you from these last games as Utah's gone on a really good run to start off the season? Well, I I have a lot of different thoughts uh, to start though. I don't think we've seen jazz basketball play jazz basketball yet. I don't think they've played to their peak. And I think that's a really good sign when you're seven and one and you haven't played a really good game yet. Um, Looking at all of our games um, and looking just like at the last week, the Bulls game, I kind of was hesitant that we were going to win that one. Um, Chicago's a really good team. They have really good guard defenders this year, which is a big upgrade for them. And that's where they've had a lot of their success on the defensive end. And without Mike Conley, I didn't see us winning that game. Um, and then we played the Bucks, who didn't have um, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. And I feel like we made we made work of the Bucks. We looked we looked pretty good that game, but still, like nobody really stood out. Um, and then we played the Kings on Tuesday. Um, I thought we played a great game, and Donovan um, really sealed the game at the end. And Don, I feel like that was Donovan's best game up to that point. And he had his little ankle injury, and he played through that. Um, I think that's a good sign that it's probably not a bad ankle injury, and I'm sure he'll be back within the next week. Um, but the Kings the Kings are fighters. They're a tough team. So I was proud of that win, um, especially the way that they the Kings were playing. They were playing good basketball. And then the Hawks win last night. Story of that game is Jordan Clarkson, and what a second half for him. 
Uh, I think he has had his struggle. I mean, obviously he's had his struggles, but the fact that he just keeps shooting is great. And he's the exact type of guy you need coming off your bench. Um, and he's done such a good job at just staying in his rhythm um, and just like trying to get back into his rhythm when he falls out of it. Um, so looking all around, I mean, we played great. We played good basketball, but we haven't played great basketball yet. Um, there's been a different players that have gotten hot in different games. And I feel like our team as a whole hasn't cohesively played a great game. And I think that's scary for other teams because we're seven and one and we haven't played to our peak and we're going to eventually find that in this season and probably in the postseason. And so I think other teams are pretty scared. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think if you've looked at, if you've watched every single game that the Jazz have played so far, especially looking at the offensive side, they have not played even close to what their offensive capabilities are. I think something, though, that has exceeded my expectations for this Jazz team is, is that half-court defense that they're putting on certain teams. I thought the defense, especially in the Bucks game, was very impressive to me at certain times, locking down Giannis. Royce O'Neal was very impressive. Um, Hassan Whiteside has been really good on defense this year, and, and him and Rudy seem just like really good lockdown centers for the Jazz. And speaking about Jordan Clarkson and shooting especially, I, I wasn't – I wasn't worried because I feel like every shooter, known shooter, has gone through these stages in his game where he's just not going to make some for a while. But the thing is with Clarkson is when he finds his stride, he really finds it. And looking back yet at yesterday's game against the Hawks, we were only up one going into the fourth. And Jordan Clarkson was able to find his stride in that second half to be able to lift the Jazz to another comfortable win once again without Donovan Mitchell. So I'm very confident in this bench unit. And I think the Jazz coaching staff is still working out some of those kinks. You can see them running different rotations. Trent Forrest got some minutes yesterday. And I think eventually Butler will find his stride because you've seen him struggle in these first few games. I've also thought that Conley's been playing much better than I honestly thought he would. As great as I, I really wanted him before the season, I really wanted him to succeed. He's once again exceeded my expectations, especially offensively. He hasn't really seemed to find that dip in his shooting, and he seems to be finding those shots that really are part of his game. And he's still got that connection with the centers down low. This this is a team, like you said, that is not close to hitting their peak offensively, and, and that's key for me, and that, that really shows me as a fan that I really shouldn't be worried for a, a majority of reasons, but mainly because there's so much left to go through. We have so many games to, to go on to, and so that just gives me hope for – the more and more that the Jazz keep playing, I think the better and better that they're going to get. But especially with these next few games, I think now after going past some pesky Kings and, and Hawks teams, now we're getting into some of those better teams, especially playing, we're playing the Heat twice. And then we've got the Sixers right after that second game with Miami. Speaking of the Heat, what, what are your thoughts about Jimmy Butler and that team out East down in Florida? They're, they're good. They're legit. They're a legit team. I think everybody has to see that. Um, they've had a couple things that have really contributed to their success. Obviously, the first and foremost, I think, is Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is he's a dog. He flops, but he does it when he's supposed to, and he's good at it, and it's super annoying, but he's really good at it. Um, and he plays really hard defense. He's a great facilitator, great playmaker, um, and Every night, I feel like he can get 10 assists and he can have a really bad shooting night, but he'll still be super impactful for his team. Um, he's always making the right play. And I feel like that's really helped. Jimmy Butler has also been incredible. Um, 
if you look at basketball references, kind of top 10 in MVP um, and their, their models that reflect that, um, Jimmy Butler has been in like the top three all season. And so he's playing great. He's averaging like 27 points a game, six and six. He's playing really good basketball. And I think it'll be sustainable for him. Um, Bam Adebayo is playing good defense. My early pick for defensive player of the year this year is Bam Adebayo because I think voter fatigue is a big factor. Ben Simmons probably won't play most of the year, so he won't even be in the conversation. And there are a couple other guys that could insert themselves in the conversation. But honestly, Bam Adebayo is is a great defender, um, and I think he'll keep doing really good. The last thing I feel like has really helped him this year has been Tyler Hero, though. Uh, Tyler Hero got a lot of hate for basically just having a terrible season in his sophomore year. And that happens when you have a good rookie season and the way he played in the bubble, teams kind of start to figure out how you play. They figure out your strengths and your weaknesses. And so Tyler Hero has had to work this off season to address some of his strengths and some of his, some of his weaknesses. And I think he's done a really good job for it. Um, I think he has set himself up in a good spot to be a serious candidate for both most improved player and rookie of the year. And so if you're a Tyler here, you got to be happy. And the Heat, I'm sure, are way happy. And he's playing great minutes off the bench. Um, looking at the Heat, though, their overall roster, the one thing I feel like they're really lacking is depth. Um, I've mentioned these four guys, and I think Duncan Robinson is also worth mentioning. I think P.J. Tucker is worth mentioning. They're two important um, role players. But they have Victor Oladipo out right now, who I think could help them in some capacity when he's back. Um and a lot of what they've brought in has been um, kind of these different players from a lot of different backgrounds, like G League guys. They brought in Markeith Morris from the Lakers. Um, I mean, they still have Udonis Haslam. Like, I don't know. I just feel like they're not that deep of a team. I feel like they got their first seven guys, and after that, it's kind of a big drop-off. I think some of these guys are, like, are legit players. Like, they should be in the NBA, but I just feel like, they're not good enough to hang with some of the other good bench units like the Jazz, for example. And so that's going to be, I think that's going to be key for the Jazz playing the Heat this week. Um, I think the Jazz are going to be, are going to have to kind of be competitive in those minutes where the starting lineups are playing each other. And I think the bench is going to be what's going to win this game for the Jazz. Um, Like I said, the Heat just don't have a lot of guys. And I think the Jazz have probably the best bench in the league. And I think if Jordan Clarkson can play um, to the level he played in that second half, and if Joe Ingles can be playing good, special shout-out to Joe Ingles. He's averaging nine points on um, 50-50 and 100 shooting. That's really impressive. He's been great. And he he wasn't hesitating on his shots last night against the Hawks, which I loved. He was just shooting. And it looks like he's having fun out there, which is fun to see from Joe. Um, He's playing great, though. And so I just don't see teams hanging with our bench unit this year. And I don't think the Heat are going to be able to. And that's why I think the Jazz are going to win. Yeah, those are two concerns. And two things that I think the Jazz wanted to address in the offseason was depth and health. And so far, every game that the Jazz have played, I felt like the Jazz have had a very big advantage when it comes to the bench units coming onto the floor. I mean, even with Jared Butler sometimes coming in and getting minutes, I still feel like the other guys when they're on there – is such a, a big advantage. You mentioned Joe Ingles. 
um, and Jordan Clarkson. Those are two guards that honestly could have starting positions at a lot of teams in the league, but they're playing the six-man roles uh, with the Jazz. Yesterday, I thought Joe Ingles played a very good facilitator role in the first half where the Jazz are really struggling shooting the ball, and he was able to kind of some, somewhat keep us in that game. And I think that's something different that we haven't seen from him, especially last season. I felt like as great of ball movement as we had, it felt like at times him and Royce O'Neal were very hesitant to shoot the ball, especially from the perimeter, because obviously the players wanted to get better shots, but it seemed like they were giving up really good shots for the potential of finding better ones. But we've, we've seen so far that Royce has actually picked up his three-point shooting as well in terms of trying it out a little bit more. And like you said, Joe Ingles is able to have confidence in his shots. He kind of had the same strut that that Clarkson has this season. He kind of had a little bit last time with even being hesitant to shoot. And Quinn Snyder talked about it, and it feels like he's addressed those issues. But looking forward at these teams that we're playing, do you, do you think that playing Miami twice and playing the Sixers right after that, is this going to be, are those going to be the toughest teams we've played so far? Or do you think that, Maybe the Bucks and even the Kings are tougher than those guys. I mean, I think playing the Heat twice within seven days is a big challenge. The Heat, like I, I mean, the Heat are a really good team. They're competitive, they're dirty, and I think they're going to be a team you have to watch for all the time. The Sixers have been questionable. The Sixers are sitting pretty though. They're at seven one. Um, a lot of their bench guys have been playing really good. Seth Curry has been averaging like 22 points a game. He's playing great. Uh, special shout out to Georges Niang. Who knew? But he's found his home in Philadelphia, and they love him there, and he's, he's playing good basketball. But Tobias Harris has missed three of their last games. Um, Joel Embiid hasn't played like himself, but I'm sure Joel Embiid will elevate his game once he realizes he's playing Rudy Gobert. He'll want to prove something like he always does. Um, so I feel like... Those three games are going to be tough. The good thing is you have three games in between that first heat game and that second heat game. And you play that second heat game at home. Um, and so you play the Magic. I think you can pretty much chalk that up as win. The Magic aren't good. They have they have fun pieces, but they're not good. And then you play the Hawks again at home. And I think, I don't know, the Hawks, the Hawks are decent. They can, they can get going. Um, if their guys are healthy and if they're um, feeling good. I mean, we played them on a back-to-back, so they got tired in that game. And then we played the, play- the Pacers, and the Pacers have been horrible this year. Um, and so I think having those three games in between really helps. I think those are three games where you play at home, you're able to kind of get into your groove, and then you play Miami at home again. And then you go – I think we play at Philadelphia – or no, Philadelphia plays at Utah. And so – we have a really fun home stretch, I think, this next little section. And, I mean, really, if you're the Jazz, you can't be thinking, okay, Miami, three games, and then Miami again. you got to be thinking one game at a time. Um, and I think that's going to be what's key for Jazz to, to hopefully keep winning. Yeah, those are some critical games. And I think especially over the past few seasons, ever since Ben Simmons and Donovan entered the league, the Sixers game has kind of turned into a little bit of a rivalry. It got a little heated last year in Philadelphia when Donovan got ejected. It was a close game. I I really enjoy watching those teams battle each other out. Obviously it's going to be different with the whole Ben Simmons debacle out there, but I do think that this jazz team, if they do take it one game at a time, I think this can be another really good regular season, but I also think they're taking it at a very different approach as well. And in terms of, they're controlling, they're limiting their guys in terms of playing time, especially for that reason of health. And I think that's why we saw Donovan sit out in Atlanta 
was like you said, it, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, especially since he came back out and had a stellar third quarter and finished off well in the fourth. I, I think they're just limiting them, especially because they know how important it is to have all those guys at the end of the season. Because I think no matter what really seeds you have, as long as you have home court advantage, I guess you could say, obviously that's a big, a big plus. But as long as you have all your guys on the roster, I have confidence in this Jazz team to win, you know, no matter where it is as of right now. Obviously, that could change with teams changing as the season goes on. So enough about Jazz. We got to we got to talk about some Utes, man. This has been such a crazy season. I think there's been those losses at the beginning of the season were very tough to watch. But it just seems like with every win that we keep getting each week, now it just keeps getting more exciting, and it doesn't feel real that this Utes team has an almost 100% chance of going to Vegas and playing in the Pac-12 championship. You, you could not have convinced me that we would be sitting in this position in the middle of September because I honestly thought, looking at ASU especially, those guys are a very talented team. But obviously there's a big, big thing going on down in Tempe with coaching and stuff like that. They, just, they don't seem to be disciplined down there. And they've, they lost a crucial game last week against an okay Washington State team. But Utah had an absolutely critical game against UCLA at home blackout last Saturday. And it just seemed like Utah had control of it from start to finish. There wasn't really a time of doubting, maybe a little bit when UCLA took some momentum down 11 in the fourth and they were on that drive. But thanks to Cam Rising's beautiful punts, that, that turned into a quick safety for the Utes. This is a team that I think a lot of people started to underestimate after the one and two non-conference start and looking at these last few games, even including the Oregon state game, this is a team that I do not doubt offensively. The play calling has been absolutely stellar. And I think you look at, especially last week against the Bruins, Utah went five for five in the red zone. And the key was the run game. Once again, as great as cam rising can be, I just think that Tavion Thomas and this run game, the blocking, has been absolutely phenomenal. You could not have told me that in September. I mean, I, I, I've, I've said it before in a few episodes back. I was at the San Diego State game, and looking at that offensive line in person, I've never seen a worse offensive line in the history of football. Like, I've never seen it. Guys were literally just running through. I felt like these guys were playing Madden, and the guys on Utah, their controller was broken. Like, it was not even funny. And now, you look at, especially the run that TJ Pledger had last week against UCLA, these holes are wide open. And even though sometimes when the holes aren't as big as they were for pleasure in that specific play, I have confidence in Tavion Thomas to get a few yards out of nothing because the dude is just a freaking beast. And now Cam Rising also has a top 10 QBR in the league. I could go through so many stats. But the, the thing is, Utah is now the team to look out for in the South. And it looks like it's pretty sure, it's pretty sure that they're going to be playing in that championship game. We were both at that, at that UCLA game. Richie, what were your thoughts after that game against the Bruins? Um, first and foremost, I think this Utah team is a really good home team. And I think every team that plays in Rice Eccles is going to have a really hard time beating Utah in Rice Eccles. I think that's a good sign for that Oregon game that's coming up in a couple weeks. Um, because Oregon's playing at Rice Eccles. And I mean, I feel like we're, it seems like we're pretty much unbeatable at home. We haven't lost at home. So we pretty much are unbeatable at home. Um, it's a different story on the road, which makes me nervous for this next little stretch, but I think we'll be fine. Um, I loved Tavian Thomas, man. I think he came away as the clear cut running back number one in that game. Um, but also TJ Pledger, 
played great. He had eight carries and 61 yards. And Mike Bernard had a couple of carries with a couple of good yards. And I just think you can use so many different guys. Chris Curry even had a carry that game, which was awesome. And I, I love that we have that depth at the running back position because I think Davian Thomas does get tired. I He didn't go through all the training and conditioning that other players went through. So I do think he kind of does get tired sometimes. And it's really nice to be able to put some of those other guys in. And they are immediately make an impact. I think um, TJ Pledger, he had his one uh, long run, his 30-yard run, which was just amazing. Um, so, I mean, our rushing is great. Also, like you said, our offensive line has had such an incredible turnaround. And I think we got we got some award. I think we got the a Comeback Player of the Week award, our whole team. But honestly, I feel like our offensive line probably deserved it more than anybody else. Um, because of the turnaround that they've had within their skill um, skill position and, I mean, just their position group. Um, I mean, they've they've turned it around. The, Nick Ford looks like a legit NFL prospect, and so does Bam. They both look like legit NFL prospects, and I think they're actually getting some attention in that regard. And, I mean, just the way that they're playing right now has been so amazing and has been a huge part of the success for Utah. Um I thought our defense played pretty good. Um, I was worried about UCLA's run game. Their run game is really good. And we held them under 200 yards, which I think is crucial. Um, in games that we have held teams under 200 yards, we have won all five. And in games that we have um, let them rush for more than 200 yards, we've lost all three. So I think that's kind of something we have to be uh, – I mean, th- that Utah has to be excited about um, looking at that UCLA game, that we played a really good run game against – Decent, well, pretty good UCLA running backs without Devin Lloyd for a half. And so I thought that was that was just great. Um, Devin Lloyd, as soon as he came back in, he was just hyped. He was, he was awesome. He did Devin Lloyd things just as you can expect every week. Um, so, I mean, I was really happy with the way we played against UCLA. I don't think we could have played a better game. Yeah, it just seemed like everyone was really at the top of their game. I guess besides special teams. I think that's a, a flaw that Kai Whittingham has openly been talking about trying to work out. I mean, when you have your quarterback punting, it tells you you've got a problem. And now our, our kickers are once again have been in a competition this past week since the backup took over mid-Washington State game. Didn't have to make a field goal until the Oregon State game, but went one for three. And so now it was a competition once again. So that's another show we gotta we got to worry about. But speaking about offense and defense, I think – a lot of people have talked about Cam Rising as the change of this offense, but again, the credit has to go to the offensive line. I, I don't know what they did. I don't know what they ate or drank differently. And like, I think it was kind of midway through that Washington state game when things kind of changed, but it's like night and day with those guys. Speaking about defense at one point on the field, most of the time there's nine freshmen on there. 70, like, like over 50% of Utah's football team are, are freshmen. They're, they're these young kids. And yet you look at this team and they're going to be going to the Pac-12 championship with such a young, talented roster, which makes me scared for what this Utah team can look like moving forward next year and even two years in the future. Because you think about it, a lot of our starters can potentially stay with this program for at least two more years. And I think with the development and the coaching staff that Utah can offer them, this can be a really good team, a team that can be compared to that 2019 one moving forward in two years. Um, 
it, it's it's going to be difficult. I, I I just think that especially with Oregon potentially playing Oregon twice is going to be hard for Utah, and it's making me wonder what I really want as a Utah fan. Because you look at this potentially, especially with the college football playoff coming out, ranking Oregon at number four. So as of right now, the Ducks are in the playoff, which puts Utah in an interesting position, right? Because if Oregon goes to the playoff, the Rose Bowl spot is open, which means that Oregon would have to win out to stay in the top four, which means they would have to beat us at home as well as beat us in the Pac-12 championship. So a potential eight and five Utah team could be going to the Rose Bowl to play I don't know, like an Ohio State and Michigan, which don't get me wrong. I've been wanting the I've been wanting the Utes to go to the Rose Bowl for the longest time, because as they say, that's the granddaddy of them all. But I just feel like it, it, it wouldn't feel earned if we were kind of the replacement of the champion, rather than obviously I think the number one option for us is to beat Oregon twice, including in the Pac-12 championship and going to the Rose Bowl as Pac-12 champions. What 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 is what are your thoughts on that on a potential eight and five Utah team going to the Rose Bowl? Would you like that? Would you kind of be concerned with that, or would you rather have us maybe beating Oregon at home and you know going to the Alamo Bowl come postseason? What what are your thoughts on that? Um, I wouldn't hate it, but at the same time, I think other people outside of the Utah fan base would really hate it, especially if we matched against like a top five or six team and we're just an eight and five team that's that lost to their only ranked opponent twice in the season. Um, I mean, I think it'd be great if Oregon makes a college football playoff. That'd be great for the Pac-12 conference and um, get some credibility that we'd probably deserve. But I don't know. I, I, I don't. I of course I want Utah to win both of these games, and I want Utah to go to the Rose Bowl. And I feel like earning it that way by beating Oregon once or twice, depending on when you beat them and getting to the Rose Bowl that way would just be so much more fulfilling as a team. And I think you'd go into the Rose Bowl with more confidence and it'd probably end up being a lot better of a game. Um, as for Oregon, I mean, I feel like, I feel like Utah can beat them. Um, I was listening to uh, the Ryan Rosillo podcast earlier this week and they were looking at Oregon. They were looking at their, co- uh, their, their college football playoff ranking. And um, they were like, you know, Oregon has a pretty easy schedule from here on out, but they have that game at Utah in Utah. And they're like, that's they're pretty much chalking that up as a loss for Oregon. That's going to be the game that puts them out of the college ball playoff conversation. So I just thought, I just, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, I thought that was funny that they're already chalking that up as a loss. If you look on the ESPN FPI, Utah actually has better odds to win that game than Oregon does. Um, so I think those are kind of things you get a little bit excited about. Um I don't know. I hope I hope Utah beats Oregon. Uh, whatever ends up happening, I just hope Utah ends up in the Rose Bowl. And we have so many paths that we could do it from. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, again, there have been better Utah teams in, in the past in this Pac-12 era, which I believe deserve to go to the Rose Bowl. But because the South has just been so competitive that Utah wasn't able to have that shot at going there. You're looking back at like the 2015 team even and that 2019 team, obviously. But because of one or two losses that were devastating they weren't able to make it there and now you're looking at this team that has a few more losses than usual and now like you said has multiple paths to Pasadena which I think is a very interesting concept um I I agree with you I think Oregon is a very beatable team it really surprised me that they were put at number four which I think shows the committees I think it shows their priorities when they rank certain people because you also look at Oklahoma who's undefeated 
and they dropped from four to eight from the AP poll to the to the playoff poll. And you look at BYU, who at this point last season with a full schedule was ranked number 14, and now with two losses, they're ranked just one spot back at 15. So you're kind of seeing that they love strength of schedule, they love if you're in a Power 5 conference, and they love if, even if you have one really good win against a really good team, they'll rank you really high. Oregon, I believe, does. They, I think they do have the best regular season win with that road win at Ohio State. But once again, I just feel like they're so inconsistent that it's very well possible Utah could beat these guys twice. Do I have 100% confidence that Utah's going to do that? No, I don't. But I do think it's possible for them to honestly beat them two times. But you you look at the, the race in the North, as confident as we are that Utah's most likely going to be going to that championship game, the, the Pac-12 North is super tight. For example, if Oregon, Oregon and Washington have their rivalry game this weekend, if Washington beats Oregon and if Colorado beats Oregon State, then there will be a three- or four-way tie for the North, which is nuts. So that means I think it's good because, like you were saying, it'd be awesome if Oregon could go into the playoff because it would give the Pac-12 the credit that it deserves, right? We've only had two teams go to the playoff so far, and Oregon went to the championship game the first year, but Washington had to play Alabama. I just think that the Pac-12 is so cannibalistic in terms of we just eat each other up every week because I think the Pac-12 is just made up of so many good teams. Not, I don't think there's that many great te- – I don't even think there is a great team in the Pac-12. I just think there's so many good teams that we just beat up on each other every week. Like, look at Oregon State. They lost to Cal last week. Like, what the heck? And so I just think that the Pac-12, like, like you said, deserves a lot more recognition for how many good teams that there are. I just think that there's not that many great teams and all those great teams are held over in the Eastern part of the country. It's going to be an interesting final few weeks. I, I, I honestly think that Oregon game should be the game of the week. I understand that Michigan state is playing Ohio state that same weekend, but I think especially with the PAC 12 conversation with Oregon and the playoff, I just think that's got to be a game to look out for. It's got so many storylines, but this week we're playing Stanford. It's actually happening tonight. We've got a Friday night game. I don't really love Friday. I mean, I guess I love Friday night games in terms of game day comes one day sooner for fans, but I just don't think it's good for teams to be going on a shortened schedule for TV reasons. Um, Stanford had a great win against Oregon, but since then they've just looked absolutely terrible. And I think it looks good for the Utes because their run defense is one of the worst in the conference and their run offense is one of the worst in the conference as well. Their one bright shining star is their quarterback, freshman uh, McKee, Brandon McKee, or Tanner McKee, excuse me. And But he's, he's uh, questionable for tonight's game. And I think if he sits out tonight, this should be a very comfortable one for Utah. But even if he does stay in, I, I still think Utah just this shouldn't be that much of a worry. Do you have any worries going up against the Cardinals tonight? So I mentioned earlier that Utah struggled against teams that are really good at running. Stanford is not a good team at running at all. Um, they've ran for 150 yards in their last three games. Um, that's total. So like that's like 50 yards a game. All right. So I feel like our defense will do really well against them. Their quarterback, Tanner McKee, when he is playing, he is a good passing threat. They are, they're averaging like 250 uh, passing yards a game, which is really good. Um, so I think if he's playing, then that probably keeps Stanford in the game at least. But, I mean, just with how well-balanced this Utah team is, 
I don't see Stanford winning this game. I think Utah will um, be really successful in the defensive end, and I think our offense is going to kind of carry us through probably the first part of the the game, and our defense will carry us through the last part of the game, just like we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it it seems like they've been consistent in that portion of which part of the team is carrying the other one at certain certain parts of the game. Um, I, I do think the throwing game is actually an interesting subject because we're so thin at cornerbacks and safeties in terms of injuries, which I think that'll be interesting if McKee plays tonight. I mean, even Clark Phillips had to, had to get moved to nickelback, which is a position that he rarely has played, and he's a freshman still, so he's learning how to play that. So that'll be an interesting we'll, – we'll get over to predictions once we, we finish this off in a few minutes, but – we're going to quickly go over Utah basketball because now the run and youths are starting their season on Tuesday. They just had their exhibition game yesterday, uh, beat a Westminster team in an exhibition by a considerable margin. I think the big topic of conversation is Booth Gotch goes to Minnesota last year. He transfers, then he comes back to Utah. Uh, but the NCAA still hasn't cleared him to play, which I think is very interesting. Do you have any thoughts about like the NCAA waiver in terms of looking for eligibility? Are there any flaws with that system? Do you agree with them waiting? What are your thoughts on the situation? I just wish it wouldn't take so long to get an answer out of it. You know, like I wish it would just be either a firm yes or a firm no um, as soon as the season starts. And I mean, again, the season doesn't start until next week officially, but it'd be kind of nice for, I'm sure Booth Gotch is just super worried. He's, I'm sure he's kind of just, anxious to be playing he's been practicing um i mean i think they've been practicing with each other for like the last three months and he's been back in salt lake city i'm sure he's loving it or else he wouldn't have come back um so i'm sure he's super anxious to be playing and i'm sure he's super anxious to find out what's going to happen um i i don't know I, i wish i wish we'd just get an answer just a yes or a no just so we can mentally prepare ourselves for the season i i think he's such a crucial crucial part of this team, especially because this team is in a rebuilding mode in the first year, actually. And so if you had a piece like Booth Gotch to put into the rotation, that's such a game changer. As great as it was to kind of see Craig Smith work out some players last night and see what works well, what doesn't. If you have Gotch in there, I just think that's an absolute game changer for this running needs program. And I think especially if you cleared him for the pre-conference games, I think that helps a ton because that's usually what most of these games are for is to warm you up for conference play I think really the only two games that I'm really worried about is BYU and TCU. Uh, But other than that, it just seems like there's a lot of teams that Utah has a a very good chance of beating. What are your expectations for the season, right? Because you can look at Craig Smith's tenure at previous positions that he's had as a head coach where he wins right off the bat. He's had very good seasons, usually takes his teams to March Madness. But this is a Utah team that a lot of people are putting at the bottom of the conference, picked to finish 10th, talked with Harry last week. They're expect they are expecting more. What are you expecting as a fan? Um, I think looking at the Pac-12 and looking at our other games. Um, I mean, most of our other games, like you said, the two really tough ones I think are Brigham Young, BYU, and TCU. Um, I also think Missouri could be a tough game, and I feel like we always lose to Fresno State when we play them. I don't know why I feel like that. I'm sure we don't, but. Um, I feel like those are those are some important games to watch just to get ready for Pac-12 play. But looking at the actual Pac-12, UCLA is ranked number two in the nation. And they played really good last year. And they brought back most of their guys. I think 
I think they'll be an absolute – they'll be fun to watch, and I think they're probably going to destroy most of the Pac-12. Um, I think USC will be okay again. Uh, obviously, losing Evan Mobley hurt, but at the same time, Utah beat USC with, with Evan Mobley twice. Um, so I think they're a team you could maybe beat. Um, looking at the rest of the Pac-12, I mean, there's some decent teams, obviously, with I think six teams making the tournament last year. Or, yeah, we, we had six teams, right? Yeah. Um, I think you can expect it to be really competitive. I think it's going to be a brawl throughout. Um, and, I mean, if this Utah team doesn't exceed expectations, then you're really in no worry. You're, you're in no hurry to be winning right now. Um, right now you're trying to still figure out your program, establish an identity, and figure out um, who should be playing for this year and for the next year. Um, and so I don't, I don't think you have to necessarily be worrying. But at the same time, if you're Utah, you have to have the expectation, just like Harrison talked to us about last week, um, just to try and win every single game. Take it one game at a time. Don't worry about the rankings. Don't worry about all of that stuff because that stuff does look pretty on paper. But once they're actually in the trenches, once they're actually on the court um, playing each other, I don't think any of that stuff really matters. I don't think that's they're going to be playing UCLA and going to be thinking, oh, man, this is the number two team, and they went to the Final Four last year, and they were one Jalen Suggs buzzer beater away from being in the NCAA championship. Um, I don't think that's what these players are going to have the mentality of, and I feel like that's what's going to win them a couple of games. Um, and I think they have enough weapons to surprise some teams. Um, last night we played uh, we played a lineup with Worcester, Batten, Carlson, um, Anthony Mark, I think Marco, yeah, Marco Anthony and David Jenkins. And so you bring back Batten and Carlson, those two guys played a lot of minutes for Utes last year. But bringing in those other three guys, those guys have played 350 NCAA games combined. So, I mean, that's, that's significant. That's something that will translate instantly um, and it will help beat some teams. I don't think this team has to be the best team this year. I don't think we need to have that pressure, but I do think there will be a pressure to win some games and to upset some teams. Overall, I think it's going to be a fun season for Utah basketball, whatever happens. Um, it's going to be fun to see the way that they play under Craig Smith. It doesn't sound like they have an identity yet as far as lineups go. Um, the way Craig Smith was talking about it is they've been experimenting, and I think that's great. That means you have a lot of guys that are – going to be good in different situations and i think you're going to be using a lot of different situations against different teams um but ultimately i don't think as a utah fan you can have your expectations too high i do think that they will exceed um the number 10 spot in the pac-12 though yeah i absolutely agree i i honestly would be okay with with a, a mid-conference finish um just because i know that the, I, I think this utah team can compete and i think that's what harry was talking about last week in our interview is that they're expecting to compete you even look at last year's team, they were pretty close to beating UCLA on the road um, with a, a team that a Utah team again last year that that wasn't that great either. So I'm excited to see what this team really looks like come conference play, because I think that they have the capability of, of putting up a good game against honestly any opponent. But I think especially in this non-conference, it'll be interesting to see the rotations that Craig Smith puts up. Like you said yesterday, he put in 12 of I think he put in 13 guys, 12 of those guys scored. Um, sadly, I don't think it was our boy Harry. So we're, we're, I'm hoping I want him, I want him to drain a three, especially against BYU. We're going to, we're going to hope he can drop one down. 
But um, this is a, I think this is a, a team that reminds me a lot about the beginning of the Kraskoviak era as well. This is a lot better start, though, than Larry had because when he came into the program, they were holding open tryouts. Like Utah was in an absolute garbage disposal. And it wasn't until he had some really good transfers and some really good in-state pickups, which I think is also crucial. We got Colin Chandler most likely picking his team this week. Multiple sources saying that the four-star from Utah is leaning towards picking the Utes. So I, I think this has the look of a good rebuild, just like we saw a few years back. Because you look back at that era, it was the pickup of DeLon Wright, the pickup of Jakob Pertl, Brandon Taylor, and the in-state pickup of Jordan Loveridge that changed that Utah program for those few years, which kind of brought it back to the Utah team that has been known throughout the entire history of NCAA basketball. This is a program that has a very rich history. Like, it's it's not like Utah football where – it's it that doesn't have any championships. Like Utah is known has been known to compete, and seeing it at, like it was the past few years has been very hard to watch. And I think Craig Smith can be able to turn that program around come this winter. So again, we're going to be talking a lot more about Utah basketball, and I think, like you said, it's going to be exciting no matter what happens because I like all these players, and I think the culture that they are trying to create is very enthusiastic. It's very energetic, and I'm excited to see what happens and, and goes on with those guys. Looking forward to tonight. Against Stanford, let's go with score predictions for Utah versus Stanford, tipping off at 8.30 Mountain Time on FS1. What do you got for us? Am I crazy to say I think the Utes are going to score more than 40 points tonight? I think – I think Abs- Absolutely not. Okay, good. I, th- I think we're scoring 45 tonight, uh, and I think Stanford's going to be scoring 23. 45-23, final score. You know, I wrote my prediction down today before the show started, and I am not lying. I had Utah 45, Stanford 17. I, okay. I, I just think, like, especially going up against it, like, these last few weeks, Utah scoring 35 even just seems like a piece of cake. Like, they're just driving down. And it, they're, it's not like they're having any crazy plays. It's consistent drives. They're, they're making out, chunking out nice, good time. It's usually roughly around nine to ten plays, and I just think they can do that consistently tonight. I, I I think that we might see some backup quarterback time. Maybe I'm I'm just predicting that. Maybe a little Peter Costelli action. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying anything, but yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a comfortable win tonight. So we're looking forward to tonight's Friday night game, and then of course we kind of got a little bit of a, a doozy down in Tucson next week. Not really excited for the U of A game, <laughs> but Oregon in two weeks and. By that time, we might have our good friend Yogi Roth on the show. That'll be an interesting podcast coming up in a few weeks, so we're going to be super excited. So any final thoughts for us, Rich? Go Utes. Rich and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you guys next week.